the nose is our first line of defense. That nitric oxide I mentioned, guess what else it does? It interacts directly with viruses. And there's 11 clinical studies right now looking into giving patients with COVID nitric oxide. So you have to be breathing through your nose with a mask um, or you're really not uh, using that mask properly and you're not properly protecting your body either. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Today's guest on the show is James Nestor. James is an author, journalist who has written for Outside Magazine, The Atlantic, National Public Radio, The New York Times, Scientific American, Dwell a Magazine, The San Francisco Chronicle, and more. Nestor's new book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, was released in May 2020 and was an instant bestseller in The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, LA Times, Sunday, London Times. Welcome to the show, James. Thanks a lot for having me. It, it is an honor, James. I got to tell you, I, I just to just to give you a quick uh, little rundown. I was telling you that we just got dumped with about uh, a foot of snow uh, yesterday and today here in the New England area. And your book has been such an inspiration to me. I've been doing all these breathing techniques, the Wim Hof and and different ones. And my son just challenged me to go out in the snow without a shirt on and just kind of jump in the snow and do some breathing act- exercises. Um, so just so you know, I just did that right before our interview. Well, I'm not responsible for for any ill effects of that. So uh, hopefully it turned out okay. And you know, Buddhists have been doing this for thousands of years, so I'm sure you'll be just fine. <laughs> but your book is such an inspiration and I've recommended it to so many people. But you know, in, in James, in your book, you did one of the great experiments, in my opinion, of all time, where you blocked up your nose and forced yourself to breathe through your mouth. Can you just tell us what happened? What was the result of that experiment? So I had been talking with the chief of rhinology research down at Stanford for months and months. We'd had these very long lunches and he kept explaining to me all of these benefits of nasal breathing. And he was so sad because he knew that 25 to 50 percent of the modern population breathes through its mouth. He said, this is bad news for us. Uh, it's, It's destroying our health in so many ways. But the question was that no one could seem to answer because no one had studied it was how soon this damage occurs in the human body when you become an obligate mouth breather. How soon will you get respiratory distress? Uh, Would it affect your blood pressure? Would it affect your sleep? No one really knew. So we devised an experiment in which myself and one other person were to be obstructed, our noses obstructed for 10 days, and we would just be breathing through our mouths. And then for the other 10 days, we would just be breathing through our noses and we would be collecting data the whole way through. So I realize this sounds like kind of a super size me stunt. It really wasn't. We were just lulling ourselves into a position that so much of the population already knew and that lived with. Uh, but we were just really collecting data and trying to see the big difference between those two pathways. Awesome. And, and James, so what did you what did you discover from uh, for those ha- who haven't read the book yet? Um, 
What did, what were some of the things that you found out just from uh, mouth breathing versus nose breathing? Well, mouth breathing is repulsive. Uh, it's so inefficient. Uh, it causes so much undue damage to your body. Uh, specifically, there are direct links between mouth breathing and periodontal disease. I talked to one dentist who was convinced that mouth breathing is much more deleterious to your mouth and to the chances that you will get cavities than, than eat, even eating sugar. So because this, this messes with the pH in your mouth and makes for a easier environment for bacteria to take root and give you cavities. So what we discovered within just a couple of hours, uh, my blood pressure was as high as I'd ever seen it in my life. And I thought, oh, I've had a stressful day. I just need to go to sleep. And I went to sleep and within, uh, you know, uh, a couple of hours I was snoring for the first time that I'm aware of. And I snored that night for about an hour and a half from basically zero minutes to an hour and a half. And the longer this experiment went on, the worse my snoring became. I got sleep apnea. Uh, I felt fatigued. Athletic performance was in the gutter. And the exact same thing, exact same patterns happened with the other person in the study, um, a guy by the name of Anders Olson. So this doesn't really prove anything. Just two people doing this experiment proves nothing. But what we were doing was just really bolstering what so many scientific studies have shown over various dec decades and, and feeling this in our own bodies, just all of the damage being done. Absolutely. And, um, and then conversely, how, how about the nose breathing? I mean, what are some of the benefits for those people, you know, who haven't, you know, gotten, gotten into nose breathing? What are some of the great things that happen when you do start breathing through your nose? So the nose ser serves 30 different functions. When we breathe air through our noses, we force it through this maze of different structures and different tissues. And this forces the air to be cleaned, to be humidified, pressurized, heated, so that by the time it enters our lungs, that air can be so much more easily extracted. So we get 20% more oxygen breathing through our noses than we do equivalent breaths through our mouths. And who doesn't want a 20% boost in efficiency throughout the day? And the fact that so many people don't know this, the fact that I lived so long and had no idea about this is, <laughs> is really a tragedy. Uh, it's it, because it's such a simple thing to do. It's just people think that there's no difference and, and I had even heard that from doctors, from medical researchers in the field. They said, mouth breathing, na nasal breathing, doesn't matter. Air, air is air. Well, <laughs> would you say that about food? You know, a Twinkie is the same as a kale salad. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> so I, I really think that, that uh, breathing needs to be considered in the same way. It's how we breathe that is so important to our health. And, and, and then I know nitric oxide is another big thing as far as blood pressure, and, and it's an antimicrobial um, for those concerned about bacteria and viruses and that kind of thing. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, about that part of nose breathing? Sure. So in the 1990s, a doctor at UCLA by the name of Louis Ignaro was awarded a Nobel Prize for his work in nitric oxide. And he found that nitric oxide had this extremely powerful effect on circulation. Uh, it had a very powerful effect in helping to prevent stroke 
and heart attacks. And it turns out that the nose produces some six times more nitric oxide than just breathing through the mouth. And I should also mention that the drug sildenafil, also known as Viagra, guess how it works? You take it and it helps your body produce more nitric oxide. <laughs> so that is how powerful nitric oxide is. And our natural bodies already produce this stuff. When we're healthy and balanced, we produce plenty of this. But in modern day living, when we're breathing through our mouths, when we're stressed out, when we're eating too much sugar, when we're eating too much salt, this can lessen the nitric oxide in our bodies and create a whole bunch of downstream negative effects. You know, something I heard you say recently, James, you were talking about um, breathing also as it relates to longevity. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm, I'm recording this from Framingham, Massachusetts. And I've heard you mention the Framingham Heart Study. And I'd love for you to just tell folks what you learned about breathing and longevity. So this is a study, as you well know, um, that has been going on like over 70 years looking at heart health. And when they started crunching the numbers back in the 80s, they found that the best indicator of lifespan wasn't genes. It wasn't how much you exercised. It wasn't what you were eating. It was lung capacity. The researcher there, William Kennel, said that lung capacity was basically the same as living capacity. So the larger our lungs are, the healthier they are, the longer we're going to live, according to the data. And this didn't make it into the book. My editor thought it was way too weird, but I actually found another study after that, that they found that people who had lung transplants, those who had been transplanted with lungs that were larger, lived way longer than those who had <laughs> medium or smaller lungs. So no matter how you get those larger lungs, you know, it's a good thing. And luckily we don't need transplants, right? The lungs are malleable. They can adjust and they respond to inputs. So if you focus on your breathing, if you exercise, you can actually inhibit the entropy that happens in our lungs as we grow older and actually increase your lung size. And according to the data, according to the numbers, you are essentially helping to influence your lifespan by just doing that. <laughs> so, so that's amazing, James. I mean, who would have imagined that when you were writing this book that here we are, fast forward in the middle of this pandemic where everybody's running around wearing masks, you know, interfering with their breathing, um, whether they're at work, whether they're at school, whether they're playing sports with masks on. So I'd love to get your take on, you know, what you think is the impact of this prolonged mask breathing. And are there any techniques, tools you think that we could really optimize mask mm -hmm. breathing? Yeah. So, you know, I had worked on this book for very casually for a number of years, but full time for over four years, just every single day, every night I was slaving away on this thing and I had it done, you know, uh, in, uh, 2019 it's slated. This is how long books take to, to come out. You basically have them have to have them done eight months before they're released. So I had no idea, obviously, that we were going to be hit by a respiratory pandemic. <laughs> and when the book came out about six weeks into lockdown, it came out in May, some people wrote and just said, oh, very entrepreneurial of you to release this book <laughs> right in the midst of a." And this had been scheduled for eight months and there's catalogs, you know, from eight months prior. So 
this is a complete, it's a complete trip to me. And it's a complete trip to so many of the experts in the field who have been conducting this research for literally decades and no one's really been listening. And now they're starting to listen because when we lose the ability to breathe, we really start recognizing what a powerful thing this is, what a powerful thing our breath is. So with mask wearing, that was a bit of a sidebar there. Sorry about that. I'll get, okay. get back to my, my duty here. <laughs> um, so, so with mask breathing, a lot of people think that when they're breathing through a mask, they aren't getting enough oxygen. And I've been getting dozens and dozens and dozens of emails about this. People say, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not getting enough oxygen because every time I put it on, I feel this need to breathe, this trigger to breathe. So what I try to clearly explain in the book is that that trigger to breathe is not dictated by oxygen. It's dictated by rising levels of carbon dioxide. So if you were to exhale and hold your breath, that need to breathe, that's CO2. So with all the studies I've looked at, even when people are working out vigorously, there is no oxygen deprivation going on wearing a mask. The latest study I looked at, it didn't matter if you were wearing a surgical mask or a cloth mask or a gaiter or you know a handkerchief, whatever. <laughs> there wasn't an oxygen deprivation. So this increase of CO2, it turns out, can actually have a lot of benefits because the more CO2 in our bodies, the more circulation uh, that we have. And, and you can see this by when you start to breathe slowly, you build up your CO2 and you have more circulation. Now, there's some people with chronic diseases, emphysema, COPD, they have too much CO2 and that's bad news. But for a healthier person, having a little bump of CO2 we've seen can have a lot of positive benefits. So I take mask wearing as an opportunity to focus on my breath, to breathe more slowly and to gain a little more CO2 in my body. Uh, I don't like wearing a mask, to be clear. I, I hate the feeling of it, but you know, take this as a, as a lesson and try to focus your breath even more when you're wearing this mask. And when you're wearing that mask, so for someone listening who's having to wear it like all day long, I mean, also maybe breathing through the nose as well, really working on that, would you say? For sure. What a lot of people do is they default to mouth breathing with a mask on. And this is not good. You should not be mouth breathing with a mask on. That can also lead to imbalances in pH in your mouth and make you more susceptible to cavities and other problems. But it also makes you more susceptible to viruses. Masks are really good at protecting others from getting a virus, but they're, they seem to be less effective in preventing a virus from entering in through the mask and into your own body. So the nose is our first line of defense. That nitric oxide I mentioned, guess what else it does? It interacts directly with viruses. And there's 11 clinical studies right now looking into giving patients with COVID nitric oxide. So you have to be breathing through your nose with a mask um, or you're really not uh, using that mask properly and you're not properly protecting your body either. That's great, James. So James, another thing that I really loved about your book is you mentioned this ragtag group of pulmonots, these pioneers in the world of breath from I mean, there were so many great characters from the chorus director, Carl Stow, to the Russian doctor, Buteyko, to the 84-year-old hairdresser, Maurice Dabord, and of course, the Iceman, Wim Hof. Um, of all these characters that you talk about in your book, who did you, who did you find to be the most fascinating? Well, they all had their own 
mystique around them. And it's funny, I was not looking to find such eccentric people. <laughs> that wasn't my goal. I, I was looking to find people who had mastered this art of breathing and had developed ways that had been scientifically proven to really reinvigorate health and, and prevent uh, chronic illness and allow us to live longer. But it turned out that these people all seemed to share this same arc. Um, and what I mean by that is they seem to discover something extraordinary that was proven to work incredibly well, but then they died and this stuff just disappeared. Not because it was disproven, but just because something better came along that would later be disproven. And what they had learned about breathing was just forgotten, which is why I named the book, The New Science of a Lost Art because we kept discovering this stuff and then we kept forgetting about it. Then we discover it again. Then we forget about it. So, you know, Maurice Tabar, who I was lucky enough to correspond with, uh, over several months, this is a guy who grew up like in the thirties and forties with chronic respiratory problems, spent most of his time in a hospital. They were going to uh, surgically remove uh, huge amounts of his lungs because he had so many issues with them. But a missionary came by the hospital in France and, and said, hey, I've just been to India and I learned about this thing called yoga and you should try these breathing techniques. They may help you. So he not only was able to completely heal himself 100%, but went on to gain this almost superhuman power where he could sit in the snow for hours and not get cold. He ran a marathon in the Sahara Desert, you know, for 100 miles. I mean, just these incredible human feats. He's still alive. He's like 91 and still kicking and still breathing. So it just shows you that, you know, the human body is amazingly adaptable depending on how we treat it, depending on how we hone it. And breathing is just a great way, a good foundation of health to start with. That's great. Um, James, in, in your travels for writing the book, you looked, I know you said you looked at a lot of human skulls, um, ancient skulls, modern skulls. What did you notice between the, the ancient, our ancient ancestors versus our, the more modern day skulls? One of the creepiest experiences I had was when I went out to the University of Pennsylvania to their archaeology and anthropology museum. They have one of the largest collections of pre-industrial skulls in the world, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things. And they have this lab where they have all of these skulls from Asia, Africa, North America, South America, South Pacific Islands. I mean, literally all over the world. They have them all in these rows on these walnut shelves behind this protective glass. And you can stand in the middle of this room and every single one of these skulls has perfectly straight teeth. So every single one. And then if you look at modern skulls, about 90% of us have some crookedness or some deformities in our mouths. We, we almost all have crooked teeth. So it begged the question to me is what the hell happened? Why are we now the only species on the planet with chronically crooked teeth? And why did our ancestors all have perfectly straight teeth? And the short version of this, the, the answer is, because of industrial foods, our mouths shrank very quickly and in very severe ways, so small that our teeth had nowhere else to grow, so they grew in crooked. When you have a small mouth, you have a smaller airway, and that's one of the main reasons why so many of us are suffering from chronic respiratory problems because of this 
disevolution that's occurred in the human skull. Hmm. You know, James, in your book, you also, you write that, you know, we've become, just as we become a culture of overeaters, we've also become a culture of overbreathers. And I'd love, and I know you mentioned this before with the carbon dioxide. Um, what are the advantages of breathing less? The advantages of breathing less are the same advantages of like going to a gym or, or going on a jog or working out is what breathing less allows you to do is it adapts your body to slightly higher levels of carbon dioxide so that you can breathe normally when you're not working out, when you're not doing these practices. The whole point of healthy breathing is to breathe in line with your metabolic needs. That's easier said than done. And breathing less is just this great way of, of acclimating yourself and so that you don't have to think about your breathing later on. There's various ways of doing this. There's this very rigorous way, hypoventilation training, which is pretty hardcore, but has so many benefits to recovery and performance. And this is something that Brian McKenzie and elite trainer has really been going into the last couple of years. And then there's lighter things you can do like Buteco method or Papworth method. And this is just training yourself to breathe a lot more lightly and a lot less than you think you need to. And I have talked to so many people who have been absolutely transformed just by taking control of their breath. Wow. James, what does your breathing practice personally look like? Oh, I'm the best breather in the world. You know, I practice <laughs> this for 12, 12 hours a day. You know, I've got my robe on all the time. There's, there's a bunch of incense burning in my house. And <laughs> no, uh, you know, people think that when you write a book about breathing, you are then going to be just the master breather. And I am so far from that. I'm a, I'm an objective science journalist who went into this world to talk to the experts. You know, I was lucky enough to talk to some of the best breathers on the planet. I was lucky enough to really embed with so many different respiratory researchers to learn about the science behind all this. Yes, I picked up a few tricks along the way. Yes, I'm aware of my breathing so often now, especially when I'm working out. Uh, and, and the big thing for me in this awareness is I learned what a terrible, terrible breather I was. I used to uh, sleep with my mouth open. I thought that was normal to go to sleep with a huge old jug of water by my bed every single night, wake up with a dry mouth, wake up a little groggy, not normal. Um, I used to breathe through my mouth when I was working out. I used to breathe way too much. And so the, the really the first step here is to become aware of your breathing. Once you become aware of it, you can focus it and you can breathe in healthier ways. And that can not only benefit you like on an athletic level, but it can benefit your general health, your, your sleep and everything else. Absolutely. James, so we've talked to some people here on the show that do Sudarshan Kriya, um, you know, Wim Hof, different, different styles of breathing. What, what do you notice is sort of a common theme between some of these breathing practices? I mean, do they have some similarities? So Sudarshan Kriya was really my entree into the potential of where breathing could, could lead us. And it was over 10 years ago now. Wow. That was a while ago. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely was where I was just having so many respiratory problems. I was working out all the time was boxing, martial arts, surfing, jogging, all that stuff. 
uh, eating the right stuff, but I was constantly getting sick with, with respiratory problems. So I went and practiced Sudarshan Kriya, did this weekend class, and then was in a follow-up session and just started profusely sweating um, and uh, at a level that uh, I have never sweated before. And so I was like, wow, where, where else can breathing take us? <laughs> and so what, what I learned, and I know Wim, uh, we talk on occasion, awesome guy. He's done more for breathing awareness than, than anyone on the planet and a huge fan of, of, of his initiatives here. But he's very clear that this breathing technique that he's doing is nothing new. He didn't invent this, right? This stuff has been around for thousands of years. And what it is, and there's so many pranayamas that do this thing as well, is you breathe really fast like that, and then you slow your breath or you hold your breath. Then you breathe really fast again, and then you slow, slow your breath. So it's basically interval training for breathing. And there's a hundred different independent studies on how effective these methods are for in Sudarshan Kriya. And Wim Hof has got his own foundation of science, so many studies in that field. But they're really doing the same thing. So you can call them what you want. Um, and I think that there's a reason why there's so much crossover and how they're helping people with the same problems is because they're they're working your body out, they're allowing you to control your nervous system function, aspects of your immune function, and really take control of your stress. And once you take control of that, man, the door really opens. Mm -hmm. James, for anybody listening right now who is maybe feeling a little powerless, a little hopeless about their life and their future, what might be one thing that you'd, you'd recommend that they could possibly do today to begin to take their life in a new direction? Shut your mouth. Uh, I really believe that. <laughs> breathe, breathe through your nose. Breathe through your nose as often as you can. A lot of people are going to say, oh, that seems really quaint. What is that going to do for me? Look at the science. <laughs> I, you know, I, I looked at it for, for four to five years. I was very deeply in this field and talking to the experts in this field and just breathing through your nose can have so many transformational effects to your health. Um, again, if you don't believe me, there's about 500 scientific references on the on the website that you can view for, for free. But beyond that, breathing awareness. Notice how dysfunctional your breathing is. And when you sense it's becoming out of step, then slow down, breathe slowly, breathe lightly, and breathe deeply through your nose. And, you know, we're lucky enough now to live in an age where so many wearables can track what's happening in our bodies, pulse oximetry, heart rate variability, blood pressure. So if you have any of those devices, take measurements before doing conscious breathing exercises and then take your measurements after or during. And I think you're going to see something very profound happen in your body. What, what you will experience is your body working at peak efficiency, which is exactly what you want throughout the day. That's how you're able to continue doing what you're doing for longer and to do it at a, at a really top performance level. You know, James, it just made me, when you mentioned heart rate variability, I was wondering, do you have any, uh, did you have any contact with heart math Institute in your research? That's exactly what we use during the Stanford experiment. So, uh, heart math is to me the most accurate heart rate variability monitor out there. It still is. They've been doing this for like 30 years or something. And it's a, 
an amazing thing to sit there and be hooked up to their system and you see your heart rate variability when you're talking and you're not thinking, you're breathing dysfunctionally, it's all over the map. It's a disaster. By just taking in these slow breaths about five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out through your nose, you see all of these different waves enter into this, this coherent pattern. So all of these jagged waves became these, this fluid sinusoidal uh, wave patterns. And that's your body responding. That's your heart responding to getting the right amount of air at the right time. And your body loves this and we should do it more often. Absolutely. Final question, James, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40 years, what words of wisdom might your current self share with your younger self? It's a good question. Uh, I probably just do everything completely differently. Um, <laughs> there, there, there you go. Start over again. No, I think I would have gotten into what I'm doing a lot earlier had I had the knowledge or the confidence to do so. I was, you know, I had a quote unquote real job for, for decades before I, I split into journalism, um, you know, about 11 years ago. Uh, so uh, I think that had I known this, uh, had I known I, I could do this, uh, I would have done it uh, much earlier and saved myself a lot of grief. Absolutely, that's great, James. What 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 was your job prior to? Uh, I didn't even know that prior to journalism. Yeah, uh, I wrote advertisements. I wrote magazine copy. I was a copy editor for various corporations. Uh, it was great. I had a staff. Everything you know looked to be on the up and up, but uh, my soul. Uh, for for lack of a better term, just was not in it. So I wrote magazine articles at night and on weekends because that is what I absolutely wanted to do. And I really felt nourished doing that. And it wasn't until several years of doing this that I had enough of those stories that I finally cut the cord. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, a complete uh, hobo ever since. Just, you know, we're working on my own terms and uh, and it was not an easy transition. It was extremely difficult uh, and a very precarious way of making a living. But, you know, I, I stuck to it and, and I'm glad I did in the end. That's awesome, James. So for, for people listening, what's the best way for them to find out about you and your work? My website's a pretty good place to start, as I mentioned. There are all of the, my publisher allowed me to publish all of the scientific studies uh, on my website for free because I know this stuff sounds completely crazy and, and illogical, but you can see the, the scans, you can see x-rays, you can see other data sheets and, and the studies at mrjamesnestor.com. That's mrjamesnestor.com. There are also links with Q&As with Harvard professors, some breathing exercises from Johns Hopkins and, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I'm trying to get better at this social media thing. I'm a complete dinosaur, so it's taken me a while. But my Instagram handle, Mr. James Naster, has just stuff associated with, with breathing and science. No, like puppy dog pictures or, or any of that stuff. James, it's an honor. It was a, it's a privilege. You're doing amazing work. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover 
and stay well, everyone.